Calvary Cast listeners. We're back, episode 109 this time. Kind of rhymes. I should be a rapper or a poet. You should. And the music in the background would help you do that. Yo. You could bust a rhyme with it. I already missed it, so. Sorry. Anyway, I am Graham, and you are Jess, and together we make the Calvary Cast. That's right. It's an entity made up of people. Two to be exact. Two to be exact. Uh, We were just discussing drinks, and we don't have... I didn't make coffee, and you were upset by that. I am perturbed. Perturbed. I am perturbed by that. I'm drinking lemonade, and you are a pansy and can't drink lemonade. I get too much heartburn. It's too too strong for you. I was looking forward to your coffee, and I was thinking that'll help Mm. me get revved up for the discussion uh, the, in the afternoon because it's two in the afternoon it's like the worst time in the world to have to think or have a discussion like this do you want me to pause this and go make coffee that's okay all right we'll just i'll just drag through it yeah, let's drag through it all right well this is going to be a terrible episode yeah well, so, this is an eeyore episode an eeyore episode so with that let's uh, get to some more listener feedback <laughs> All right, we have two emails. Wowzers. Blowing up the thing. Keep it coming, people. This is great. All right, here's the first one. Hey, Jess and Sidekick. While listening to your most recent episode, I was inspired by your anonymous, and that's in scare quotes, email from a fan to send in some feedback myself. Perhaps, quote, unquote, inspired could be better defined as a, quote, craving the fame and affirmation (laughs) that comes from getting your email read on a major podcast. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There's a number of things that are good about that statement. One, major podcast. So here's the feedback and concise bullet points. One, I dig your pod. Honestly, you guys do a good job. Two, I don't listen to every episode. That needs to be fixed. We need to fix this. Three, keep the banter. Four, sometimes Jess's sidekick's voice gets so deep and rich and luscious that I can't understand him. It's just a thing he does. Probably can't be fixed. Luscious. Probably a permanent character flaw. (laughs) Uh, Number five, the best thing about your podcast is your niche. You obviously aren't a major podcast. Ouch. Whoa. You didn't edit that out before we read this? But your narrow aim at being a supplement for your own church first actually makes it uniquely useful, even for a dude like me who isn't at your church. One of your biggest fans, Isaac. That's good. Good, 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 good. So thank you, Isaac. That was was good, although it kind of hurt. He didn't even call reference me by name. He called me the sidekick. sidekick. In my opinion, in this podcast, I'm more your sidekick. Because right. you're more of the natural podcaster, and I'm not really. I, well, I just usually start it and things like that, but that's yeah. okay. All right. Uh, this one, I'm going to edit. This is from Debbie Archer in our church. Hi, Pastor Jess and Pastor Graham. And this one's a question, so we can just answer the question a little bit. I gave her a little response. Uh, thank you for these episodes of the Calvary Cast. I grow so much in God's Word through them. She talks about John 10 and our podcast last time and Limited Atonement, but she has a question from that, she says, she's referencing John 10 and Jesus's statement that I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must go and get them. She said, I understand that the other sheep that Jesus talks about are us Gentiles who are grafted in. And she quotes Romans eleven twenty two. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. My question if my justification, sanctification, and glorification is assured by Jesus' work, does being cut off mean that I could lose 
what he has given to me as one of his sheep if I don't continue in his kindness? Or does being cut off mean God's discipline for a time and that I would be grafted back in like God's chosen Jews will be someday? Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? I think that's a good question. Yeah, it's a really other good question. people might have similar questions as well. Yeah, I do think there are passages, especially in the New Testament, designed to for startling a person into self-reflection. Sure. To ensure that you are genuinely in the faith, that you um, are, you you have what the Bible talks about as being a living faith as opposed mm. to a dead faith, uh, that you are truly indwelt by the Spirit and have been born again. If those things are true of a person, that is, they have the Spirit, they're born again, there's a genuine faith, then they cannot be lost, they can't be cut off for any length of time and then grafted back in. The idea is, um, I think that many of those are there to, uh, because in the early church as well as now, there was a problem with people that came to church, so to speak, but weren't part of the church, essentially. Yes. I mean, they they... They had an intellectual belief, maybe, in Jesus, just like you see that now. But there's no change of heart. There's no faith as in what the Bible describes as faith and trust in Jesus and his work. If we take the cumulative whole of all of the other verses that talk about the security of the believer, as an example, John 10, which we referenced mm-hmm. last week, where in it Jesus said, and they're in my hand, and nobody's going to snatch them out yes. of my hand. Yep. And they're in my Father's hand, and nobody's going to snatch them out of there. You know, these kinds of promises that aren't just in one or two places, but are continuously through the New Testament, then we see that for a genuine believer that's truly born again, uh, there is no possibility mm-hmm. of the loss of what Christ has done. And that's what makes these doctrines of grace so awesome to know because they're comforting because it shows you that your salvation was secured from before the foundation of the world anchored Ephesians 1 in the the will of God Mm. not even your own Mm. and carried all the way through that we believe that Christ's definitive atonement provided things for you that you have redemption Ephesians 1 the forgiveness of sins right and um you have now peace with God, and you stand under grace, Romans 5. And then in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. And so you see those, and then the Spirit's work who came and seals you until the day of redemption. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which you have been sealed until the day of redemption. And Jesus told his disciples in the upper room when they receive the Spirit, the Spirit stays with you forever. Yeah. So take all of those Take the doctrines of grace and how we'll get to in two weeks or so, perseverance of the saints, mm-hmm. and see how what 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 is required of you, God provides through his grace. And that'll really transition well into what, what we're, we're talking, talking about today. If God requires of you repentant faith, well, guess what? He's going to work in you in a such a way that you will have repentant faith. Yeah. If faith is required and you stay steadfast in that, in a true believer— uh, your trust, I think as John Piper said, trust in the one who keeps you trusting. Yeah. Uh, believe in the one that keeps you believing. The reason you woke up this morning is because the spirits renewed that work in you. Mm-hmm. Or I mean that you woke up believing this morning is because the spirits renewing that work mm-hmm. in you. And, um, so if we take all of those and yeah, there are, you know, two or three texts like the one in Hebrews, you know, and mm-hmm. that where people look at and they're like, wow, that sounds really scary. Mm-hmm. And it's designed to startle. 
Yes. And it's designed for that inner uh, uh, inspection of your heart and your faith and that I get it. And there are people who have professed for a little while. Jesus said there are people that receive the word the for a time, the soils. but then when tribulation or the care of the world come on, they go off. And yep. John said those people that seem to be with us, but they've gone out from us now, what it demonstrates is that they were never with us. Yeah. So there is therefore now no condemnation of those in Christ that they cannot. And there is no separation. Remember the end of Romans eight, no separation from this love of Christ that he set on you from before the foundation of the world. Yeah. It's just not in the realm of possibility. Yeah. Well, there, that was the podcast in and of itself. It, that could have actually turned into one. <laughs> Maybe we'll, you know, we'll, we'll look at that again with the we'll perseverance come, of the saints exactly. and, and elaborate on it. But thank you to Isaac and Debbie for sending in your your feedback. And if you want to do the same and have your uh, email read on a major podcast, just send it on over. All right, let's get into the uh, topic of the day. of the day, which is irresistible grace. I had to think about that for a second. That often happens. There's always this, when I say something like that, or I say, what's the book of the month? You go, like you had to think about it for a minute. Yeah. Irresistible grace, or a better name would be effectual grace, right? Effectual grace, right. We got that from one of the authors that we were reading. It's almost like most of these points, we end up kind of renaming them. Well, some of them. I guess two, yep. the L and the I. And it, it's not just us. I, I think many have done that because they recognize the actual name, like what limit atonement is, mm-hmm. could be problematic right. if not understood correctly. Right. So, again, just to rehash what we're doing, we're walking through the doctrines of grace and also known as the points of Calvinism. And these are historic points that were made from the canons of Dort in response to the followers of Jacob Arminius. And so we are on point number four. I will start by just writing and reading a little bit of the Arminian point that was made, because that was the first point, and then the canons of Dort, the doctrines of grace, were the responses to that. So I'm, I'm not going to read the whole statement. I'm just going to read a summary of it, because the language gets a little confusing. But basically, the Arminian point is, they're saying, without the operation of grace, man cannot do anything good. But grace is not irresistible, since men have resisted the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the point of the doctrines of grace, the point we think we see in the Scriptures? That counteracts that, you mean? Right, yes. Right, so the term irresistible grace is what, it, what comes out, and immediately people go, wait a minute. Uh, people resist God's grace all the time. Right. And they might even say, including me sometimes, like mm-hmm. I know God's grace is available as an example to say no to a sin. Yeah. I know Romans 6 and Romans 8, and and yet I don't. I resist grace. Mm-hmm. And so that's where this the, the name of this comes from. Come, and TULIP is problematic, you know, because it's like we need to clarify what we're talking about yeah. here because, of course, we can resist God's offer of grace because, remember, the gospel goes out to everyone. Right. And there is an offer of reconciliation with God if they will repent and believe. There's no doubt about that. And people resist it. Say no. They saw the work of Jesus Christ filled with the Spirit. They saw his spiritual power and the the miracles and such that he Mm -hmm. did by the power of Spirit, and they resisted that. And even attributed it to Satan in some instances. That's right, yeah. 
So this is a different, what we're talking about in this irresistible grace is, is a grace that is irresistible because of its omnipotent power mm. and it cannot be overcome. It's effectiveness. It's effectiveness, yeah. right. So that's what the argument is more about is the effectiveness of the grace, right? Yep. Yep. That is, that is uh, presented or that is worked in us. Yeah. So I, I put this, I, I just wrote out a little definition here of, of the kind of grace we're talking yeah. about. And then hopefully as we elaborate on it, it will become more clear what we're talking Perfect. about. So grace in this context, when we say God's grace that operates in the believer, okay, in the true believer, is irresistible. It's the powerful working of God by his spirit to bring sinners, or let's let's just put this, to bring the elect from spiritual death to spiritual life. Because this kind of grace were, is, is directed from God by his spirit into the hearts and lives only of the elect. Mm. So those for whom Christ came to redeem, the ones the Father gave him because he chose them before the foundation of the world, the spirit now comes in and imparts this life in the work of Christ and applies all those things into the spirit or into the soul of the individual and brings them from death to life. In other words, this grace of God is his powerful working in saving sinners by causing them to be born again, regenerated, become a new cre- creation, uh, and be raised from spiritual death, spiritual life. So the grace in this context is not an offer of God. Mm. It's not an invitation to be saved. It's not an invitation to experience the grace of God. It uses the call of the gospel. It uses the presentation of the gospel, but it is not the offer itself. Yes. It is it is God's powerful working by his spirit in individuals, transforming them from uh from spiritual death to spiritual mm. life, to imparting life. Yeah. And in that way it's effective and irresistible power. Hmm. Uh, operating upon a dead and helpless and lost slave of, uh, of sin, setting that person free. So I'm thinking about this in the context of like uh, a, demonst- a, a, a visual demonstration of this. Of course, we weren't there, but others were. John 11 is is this picture of, of Lazarus, right? right? He's dead. He's in the tomb. He's been in the tomb four days. He is helpless, hopeless. He's whatever. There's no life there. And Jesus stands at the entrance of the tomb, and he calls him by name, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. Now, Lazarus did not cooperate Mm -hmm. in this. Uh, This was a dead man that came to life. As a a matter of fact, John said the man who had died came to life. Okay, Mm -hmm. So this is not like this just simply this uh, cooperation of Lazarus or um, he had to do something first, namely, let's say, repent and believe. And, oh, now all of a sudden he gets life. Right. And I think what Jesus was doing there clearly is showing himself as the author and giver of life. And so Jesus, so Lazarus comes forth. And I think that's a picture of who we were and then what God does for us. And that is God's powerful working of grace infusing life into a spiritually dead person and that's irresistible Mm. it doesn't it doesn't you can't stop it from happening yeah 
in John three, Jesus talks about the wind, you know, referring to the spirit as the wind, the wind, you know, yeah. using that illustration, the wind blows where it wills mm-hmm. and you hear it sound, you know, you can see its effects. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And when the spirit, uh, blows new life into a dead person, you see its effects. It happens and the person yeah. can't resist it. You know, so largely we're talking about the spirits applying the work of Christ. Yeah. Right. And some people talk about like what we were talking earlier about the Trinitarian nature of these, these doctrines, right? Unconditional election. The father chooses those whom he will save, uh, a particular redemption or definite atonement, the son saves them. Mm-hmm. And now the spirit applies that to them. And it goes back to even what we talked about last time with definite atonement, right? There's no, uh, at oddsness between mm-hmm. the father, the son and the spirit. It's not that the son is saving those whom the father has, or, you know, sat, uh, atoning for those whom the father has not chosen. And mm-hmm. <laughs> there's yeah. not nothing at odds there in perfect harmony. Yep. And here with this doctrine of effectual grace, the spirit is now yeah. applying the work of Christ. And think about how lo- again like how logically that yes. works out. We've looked at the fact that we were totally depraved sinners wouldn't have chosen God, wouldn't have you know worshiped God. We were just like everyone else, spiritually yeah. dead. And yet God chose us unconditional election based on his grace and his choice of us. Mm-hmm. He elects us. And then he gives us to the son who comes and lives for us and dies for us. Yeah. And at that cross made atonement for the sins of the ones the Father gave to him. Mm-hmm. And then now we're into this irresistible grace, which leads us into that next part of it, which is now the application of the Spirit. The Spirit applies a work. So mm-hmm. there it is, that Trinitarian work. And the, in this view of salvation, all three persons of the Godhead are working together in the one unified will and purpose of God. Yeah. And, um, and not in any way working against each other. Yeah. So the spirit's going to take this grace uh, and apply it into the life of a, of one of the elect and, and cause them to be born again and apply the work of Christ in their hearts. And that's going to be irresistible. Yeah. So uh, we've kind of discussed the doctrine a little bit here, but we want to make sure this is rooted in scripture. So where do we see this taught mm-hmm. in scriptures? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I like looking at Ephesians 2, um, I a think this is a very familiar passage. Very familiar passage. Um, interestingly, he doesn't mention the spirit in these ten verses, the first ten verses, and yet, um, and yet we can see other passages that talk about this being particularly the spirit's work. But I, but you'll see in these first, you know, three verses. Of course, you were dead in the trespasses of sins. Okay. Um, you walked according to the fo- uh, following the course of this world, the prince of power, the air, the spirit that now in work in the sons of disobedience. We all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right. We looked at that when we were talking about total depravity. Exactly. And that's in the position we were. But now in verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were in that condition, we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So God is the subject, right? And what is he doing? What did he do? He made us alive. The new birth. The new birth. And um, and then he says, and that's by grace you've been saved. So mm-hmm. picture even that 
Lazarus picture, right? We are in the tomb of sin. And um, we'll look at this in a minute, but God calls us by his grace, but he infused this grace, this life-giving grace into us, made us alive together with Christ. And then he says, he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Now, the reason I like this passage in, in the context of irresistible grace is that this is picturing grace not as sometimes we'll say, well, we're saved by grace and not by works or something. Mm-hmm. No. Which is true. Which is true. But we're saying we're saved by grace. That is the the power of God in us mm-hmm. transforming us in our, This is so often missed in uh, Christian circles. So, yeah, what is it when people say that? Mm-hmm. Like you referenced before, uh, saved by grace. What are they thinking of grace as? They're thinking about it as like this. They're thinking about it as unmerited favor. I didn't deserve it. Yeah, I was a sinner, and they're right. Yes, there, there's part of that. Yes. That's part of it when we say saved by grace. But in this context, the grace that we're saved by wasn't just this um, thing like out ex- there. Yeah, yeah exterior. Exter- exterior thing. It was God's working. So when Paul's saying, "What is it to be saved by grace?" It means he. He made you alive. Yeah. It was his work in you. Which is not merited and all of these things. But That's it's, right. it's more than just not merited. It's right. God doing all of this in us. That's right. Because in verse 5, this happened to you when you were dead in your trespasses. Hmm. And you were still following the prince of the power of the air and following the course of the world and your passions, your flesh. This didn't happen at some point when you changed from that or, you know, whatever it is. It This happened... When you were in that condition, and that's what Paul means when he says you're, it's by grace alone, and it's grace is a an operating power, God's operating power in your heart to make you alive. Now, we're looking at it in Romans eight, right? That that he's like, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, um, uh, because we have been set we have been set free by the Spirit, uh, the law of the Spirit of life, and I'm loosely paraphrasing there. Right. But that spirit of life, that infusion of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. That's grace. By grace, you've been saved. Otherwise you would have just followed the law of sin and death and your members all the way into hell. But God, by his grace, infused this. And what we're saying with that is that's irresistible. Mm. You couldn't stop that from happening when God decided to do that in you. And you need to, we need to stop thinking about salvation as something we decided for ourselves. But when God decided to operate his grace in you and work in you in this way and bring you from spiritual death to life, that was irresistible. It was just the omnipotent power of God working in you. That makes sense. It does make sense. And, uh, so now, um, there is one other element that we can look at with this out of Romans 8, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, of course, we've probably already looked at this too, but this is uh, very important because he says, um, uh, verse 29 of chapter 8, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Remember that word foreknow is almost equal to election. I we Or it is, actually. I mean, he, he didn't just foreknow something about you. He foreknew you. Right. And we could say this from Ephesians 1. He set his electing love on you. Yeah. And when he did that, he also lovingly predestined you yeah. to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
if there are those out there listening, you can connect that right away to Ephesians 1. Just go back and look at Ephesians 1. You'll see some of the same ideas. But then you have what they call this golden chain of salvation. Those whom he predestined, right, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, if you look at that, a lot of people think about the call of the gospel, there, there's two calls of the gospel. Right. I think there, we did a podcast on this, too. I think we did, too. The first call is the general call. Yeah. Everybody gets it. Repent and believe in Jesus. Yeah. But now in this call, it is God who is calling, and he's, he's calling only a specific group of people. He doesn't do this with everybody. He calls the predestined. Now, when he calls them, he justifies them. And that's interesting because Paul's already talked about how a person is justified, like Abraham, through faith alone. Yeah. So part of the calling is the person believing. Mm-hmm. And because it was only people that are predestined who were elected by God will be called. And those who are called will be justified. In other words, they will believe. It was never in question. And that's why the New Testament often uses for Christians calling them the called. That's right. right. It's a it's a it's a phrase that describes who we are. We're the called ones. Yep. Paul intros first Corinthians like that because yeah. he'll make a big deal about that. Mm. Is making sure you understand. And I think it's because he's trying to humble Corinthians mm. because they they're a proud church. You need to know you were called. That's why you believed. Mm. So when this grace operates in a sinner through that call, we call it the effectual call, almost the same thing as saying irresistible grace, that when God calls a sinner, it comes with that grace that makes a sinner alive, frees the sinner from the law of sin and death, imparts spiritual life in the sinner, and they believe as a result. Mm. They didn't receive it because they believed right. they believed as they received it so yeah. it all came by this the the grace of god his power working in a person this is why you believe and you know many people that don't they haven't received this call yeah so while you're on that because i think a fitting passage is in first corinthians 1 verses 23 and 24 where yeah. he says but we preach christ crucified and here you see the two stum- the two aspects of that call. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So why is it that the same message can be preached to some and they stumble over Christ, mm-hmm. they don't believe, and others do? Well, And the ones who do are called the called, just like in Romans 8. That's right. And they're the ones that believe, and it has to do with this irresistible grace, this effectual grace call yep. of God. Yep. And he does that through the gospel. Yeah. So you'll see in you know, that first Corinthians is a good example of that the gospel's being presented to both. Mm-hmm. But it's only effective in those who are called. Mm-hmm. And then um and then you know just to add to that just to connect it to election uh verses 23 uh, 6 through uh, 28, 29, really yeah. explain that. Consider your calling brothers. Mm. And then he says, not many of you were wise according to world standards, etc. but God chose or elected what is foolish in the world, shame the wise. God chose what is weak. In other words, he chose purposely, you know. Yeah. Uh, but not meritoriously. That's not right, but not meritoriously. Yep. that people have done. So yep. there's no reason to boast. Yep, and it was the elect that received this calling. Mm. 
Okay, so a specific call to a specific people, and the call works. Mm. They believe when it happens, and um, and that gets into a little bit of of the idea of faith as a gift of yeah. God. Same with repentance that He grants mm-hmm. uh, to people, and um, but it isn't. We talked about this earlier. It isn't somebody else's. It isn't God giving you a faith. It's actually God working in yeah. you in such a you, way that you believe. Right. We talked about that, but prior to the podcast, you and I. Right. Right. That faith is not imputed like righteousness is imputed, but it it is part of this regenerating work of God, yeah. which takes us first or first Corinthians chapter two, uh, because so again this is. Uh, how does this happen? This is the work of the Spirit. Spirit, Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? He's referencing and he's talking about in that whole context the work of the Spirit to open blinded eyes, to mm-hmm. see things. And there's testimonies of that all throughout the, the New Testament, right? I think about in Acts uh, chapter 16 about Lydia, right? The Spirit opened her eyes to hear the things that mm-hmm, Paul was saying mm-hmm. and to believe them, right? Yep. Uh, I think it's Acts 13 uh, also references, right, that work of the Spirit to open eyes and ears to understand and to believe the things of God. Yep. And then they respond in faith. That's right. And it is, it isn't like he's dragging you and kicking and screaming. Remember Philippians 1, yeah. he works in you to will. Yeah. You know, so your willing is a work of God that all of a sudden, instead of willing sin, you will after God Mm -hmm. or, you know, you desire to follow Christ. That's what this is. What's so miraculous about the the effectual grace of God is that it turns hardened sinners who are God haters Mm -hmm. into God worshipers. How does that happen by something we did? No, of course not. God did that. Uh, turning those who have rejected Christ over and over again their whole life, all of a sudden they believe. How did that happen? The effectual call, the irresistible grace that operates in a sinner. Uh, One more passage that I have on this I think is important is in 2 Corinthians 4, right? Paul is talking largely there about his ministry methodology in some ways and talking about why the gospel is effective. And he said, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants, for, as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then here's the effective call of God by the work of the Spirit. And it's, and it's interesting because he uses creation language. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yep. So the spirit there is opening blinded eyes. And then he's doing what Jesus said he would come and do, right? He's revealing Christ. Yeah, That's the work of the spirit. It's effective unto salvation. Yep. Uh, anything else, uh, other passages of scripture that you want to tackle otherwise i think we could touch briefly on some opposition which we have a little bit yeah uh so people hear this irresistible grace and i think the first thing that that they say is well what about my free will right Mm -hmm. that's a pretty common common rephrase or does that mean god drags me kicking and screaming into his kingdom Mm -hmm. does he do that 
No, and I think we've answered that. He makes you willing. Yes. He tr- he turns the heart. He replaces your heart, actually. Mm-hmm. You get a heart transplant, Ezekiel 36. Right. He takes out your heart of stone that doesn't want God and would drag and kick and scream, say, yes. I'm not coming to God. And he replaces it with a heart of flesh yeah. that actually desires God now right. and wants relationship with him. It, it's and, and again, and these are, I think, bad caricatures, but right, the well, then you're just a robot. No, mm-hmm. you have a new heart. You have new desires. Um, and it's your your will is truly freed now. That's right. To choose and embrace and love the Lord. Um, the authors, and I'll read this, this quotation from the canons of Dort, because they were anticipating that objection, and they mm-hmm. responded in this way. They said, just as by the fall man did not cease to be man, endowed with intellect and will, and just as sin which is spread through the whole human race did not abolish the nature of the human race, but distorted and spiritually killed it, so also this divine grace of regeneration does not act in people as if they were blocks and stones, nor does it abolish the will and its properties or coerce a reluctant will by force, but spiritually revives, heals, reforms, and in a manner at once pleasing and powerful, bends it back. Mm-hmm. It is in this that the true and spiritual restoration and freedom of our will consists. That's right. And when you see before God's irresistible grace in you, you were less free. You you want to act like your will was free, but the Bible is clear you were not free. You followed the course of this world in your own sinful desires. You were not free in the sense of your thinking you're free. He actually has freed you up now to truly be a free human being and actually has made you what a human being was designed to be, which is a, 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 a person who glorifies God and worships his creator and, and, and loves his creator and loves fellow human beings. So, you know, we, but we needed God's work in our hearts to do that. And, you know, it's funny because I think, even Christians that would disagree with argue with this, right? They still they'll they'll talk about free will all day, but then they'll pray that God would save their loved ones. Yeah. Or work in their heart, right? All those things because they un they deep down they understand right. my loved one isn't gonna believe God unless you do a work in their heart. Yeah unless you do an irresistible work of grace mm. in their heart and draw them to yourself, mm. then there's no way they're going to believe. So I think that most Christians just instinctually believe this. Yeah. For lack of a better term, they start to overthink it and mm. then start mm. focusing on the objections to it and they don't like what it sounds like. But mm. if they really investigate this and think about it, they're like, yeah, I have already been praying that God would work in somebody's heart. That's what I want to happen. Mm-hmm. And and I know my own sinfulness enough to know that I needed God's irresistible grace working in me, that power to change me from who I was to who I am. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's more instinctual to believe this than people think. And yeah. they just, yeah. But anyway. Uh, uh, this one last quote I, from John Piper, he says, irresistible grace does not drag the unwilling into the, into the kingdom. It makes the unwilling willing. Right. That's so it. That, that sums it up right there. That is. Anything else? No. All right. Well, our hope for this podcast is that you have been encouraged, that you grow in your love for the scriptures and our God and Savior whom they reveal. So we appreciate you listening to the podcast today. We do love to hear from you. If you want to be like Isaac or Debbie and have your email read on the 
the podcast, send us one at thecalvarycast at gmail.com, or you can come up and talk to us if you're part of our church. Send us a text or give us a phone call. I will say, if we get enough questions around this these episodes, maybe we'll devote an entire episode to just answering people's questions. Yep. Maybe. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, you can follow us online, Instagram, and now on Twitter. Wowzers. Yes. Twitter We're is big time now. way better than Instagram. Okay. Instagram's not near as cool as Twitter, so go follow us. Both of them are at the Calvary Cast. If you like the show, give us a rating and only a five-star review. Uh, less than that will not be accepted. It'll just reject your review. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. So until next time. <laughs>